morning, sunrise. Good to see y'all. Let's put our hands together today. sunrise. Glad to have you here. This morning, if you're new, we welcome you. Um, If you're returning, welcome back. Uh, We do still have some info cards, so if you're not getting phone calls or updates and you'd like to get those, um, they'll be at the back after the service. A couple things from your bulletin. There's one change. As we've been running our Chosen series, we decided kind of last minute after the bulletin was printed, this next Friday will be our final showing. We're going to show the last two episodes. We're going to start it off with a time of worship. So if you want to come a little bit early, join us for that. We would love to have you. Next um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week, we're going to be kicking off something a little new for kids called Backyard Bible Clubs. So it's, think, VBS, but in people's backyards and in parks around town. 
So if you have kids in your own family, if you have neighbors, um, if you have grandkids, if you have nieces, nephews, friends, whoever it is, we would love to invite them out. We're doing some pre-registration. Kids just go online on our website. There's a Backyard Bible Club tab and you register your kid there. There's four locations, so we're going to be up at the sports complex up by the hospital. We're going to be down at the upper shelter of Pioneer Park, and then we'll be up in the vistas at 101 Countryside North, and then also over kind of in the swimming pool area at 145 Hilltop Lane. So check those out on the website, and if you are interested or know some kids and want to grab a flyer after the service, we'd love to get you one of those to hand out. Lastly, tonight, 7 o'clock, we're going to be doing kind of a relaunch and facelift of sorts of our women's ministry. So that's going to be 7 o'clock at City Park. We're going to gather together. Um, Where two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus says, there I am also. And so we're going to gather together as women. We're going to see what the Lord has for us this coming year. We're going to enjoy some ice cream together. Um, You will have to watch the road construction on C Street, so come around the backside there by the uh, fire hall, and we'd love to see you out. This morning, um, my prayer is just that we would be captivated by the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the God of the universe, and as circumstances are hard, um, as life we can get wrapped up in, I've been praying today that... um, that our eyes would be able to be taken off ourselves and that as we worship together that we would be able to just bow down, fall face first at the foot of the Savior, at the foot of the cross and his awesomeness, um, his, his worthiness of our awe. So would you pray with me this morning as we continue? Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to, to live in a country where we're able to meet together on a Sunday morning and worship your name freely. Lord, I thank you that you are bigger than our circumstances, that you are bigger than ourselves. And Lord, forgive us for the times that we must place our focus. This morning, would it be directed on you? God, would you get every ounce of worship that is deserved to you because you are worthy, Lord? And I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for each of these people here, Lord, and the fact that we can call each other family because of the blood of your son. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Sunrise. I was thinking as Megan was talking this morning and praying, that was so appropriate just a verse in Psalm 46 that talks about, Be still and know that I am God. And I think for all of us, that's a, it's, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the reality of what's around us. But the fact is, God is still God. And, and if we're still and we hear his quiet, small voice, it gives us comfort and in, in, in insurance. Uh, this morning, it's my privilege to, um, as part of the life of a church, uh, we're going to install a couple of new elders. Um, The precedent for leadership within a church is found in Acts chapter 6, the first mention of it. And what you read in those verses is that the early church had a need within the body that was not being met in an efficient manner. And so 
the apostles came together and they said, you know, we need to find some men that, can, that are full of the Holy Spirit. That was the first qualification. And so that they can take care of this need in the body so that we can continue teaching and doing the things that God has given us to do. And so the, the biblical picture of leadership is, is not one of, of, of lording authority over a body or, or the body of the church, but rather it's a picture of choosing spirit-filled men to lead so that the body can spend its time ministering with the gifts and the ministries that God has given to each one of us. And so that's really the picture of leadership. And so whenever God gives leaders to a church, that's his gift and that's his provision to the church body. And so this morning, we're grateful um, over the these are some of these things that have been happening over the course of the time that we weren't meeting together, uh, but God was doing things, as we know God does. And so we have um, interviewed, and we have, this morning we want to install Dewey Clapp and Curtis Berkeley um, as, new, as the newest members of the Elder Board. So Curtis and Dewey, if you would come forward, and then I'll have the rest of the men come up here in a minute. Front and center. <laughs> All right. Where's Curtis at? I know he was here. Okay. Ooh. A stealthy elder. That's not a good thing. All right. So the qualifications of an elder we find in First Timothy chapter 3. And, and I like to read these things because as, as leaders in the church, this, this, should, this is our constant calling and, and what God expects of us. Said, here's a trustworthy calling. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. And an overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner full, worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Whenever we read those verses, it's, it's humbling, because as, as leaders, we recognize that we don't meet hundred percent of all those qualifications. And we know that as, as leaders that we are all fallen. We have a fallen nature. And the thing that we have in common is that Jesus saved us by his grace and by his mercy. And so those, that lift of, list of qualifications, more than anything else for a leader, is a, for in each of our lives, it's a demonstration of a commitment to maturity in each of those levels, not perfection. Not this side of glory, but a commitment to maturity. And, and in reality, those verses should be a checklist for every one of us men as believers in Jesus Christ. Even if you're not serving in leadership, that's God's design for a man. Um, the, the qualifications that, that he would have. And, and, and through the years, I've known several men that, that very much meet all of those qualifications. 
but they just don't believe that God has called them to, to leadership. And that's perfectly fine. Uh, because you notice in that, in that passage that the first thing that's mentioned is the calling. If a man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a noble task he desires to do. And so there has to be a calling that goes along with that. And so in our church, we have, once you're installed as an elder, uh, you're an elder for life unless you disqualify yourself or unless the Lord calls you home. And so this morning, as we pray over these two men, uh, we're, I'm going to ask the, the men that are currently serving on the elder board, as well as Steve Heilbrunn and Dan Ringle, who are, have been past elders that are still elders, uh, to come forward. And we're just going to pray over these guys and ask God's blessing upon them, uh, ask God's protection upon their lives, because the reality is when you place yourself um, under God's control to serve as leaders, uh, there's spiritual battle that goes along with that. And so we want to we wanna pray for them. Um, the process, I, I wanted, wanted to take just a minute as the guys are coming up. What's the process of becoming an elder? Well, first of all, the current elders pray, and we just pray together and ask God if there's any that, that he identifies to us that we feel like, should should serve or would be qualified to serve. And so after we pray, if there's unanimous decision about uh, a candidate to consider, then we talk to them and we ask them to pray about it. I appreciate the fact that both Dewey and Curtis, as they were approached about the possibility of being an elder, they took some time over the course of, of several weeks to consider whether or not God was calling them to that. And, and I really appreciated that about these men, that they didn't take it, they didn't take it lightly, that they honestly just pounded the, the doors of heaven to make sure that that's what God wanted them to do. And so after they consent, then we have an interview with the elder board, and after we meet with them, then we uh, pray, and if the vote is unanimous to install them as an elder, then we <clears throat> uh, introduce them to the church, and we give the church... Two, typically it's two to four weeks, that if you have some concerns about their character or there are some things that you have questions about in terms of the biblical qualifications, then you can come to the elders and we can talk about that. And so it's, it's really, it's not our choosing an elder, it's our identifying someone that God has put their hand on. And that's the part of the process that, 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 that we want to be a part of, is God, God just a choosing and, and he helps us identify who that is. So this morning, I think I'll ask um, <clears throat> Dan if you would pray, and um, no, yeah, I know there's prayers over here. <laughs> Steve, why don't you pray? I know Steve's a prayer, so all right, why don't we come on up round, and we'll put these guys in the center, and let's lay our hands on them as we pray, shall we? Lord, it is an awesome responsibility to be an elder, but you have so given these men the ability to be clean and pure because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for their lives. They've had ups and downs. We've all had ups and downs, but we know that they are true to the word. We thank you for their testimony in the community. We ask this in your name. Amen. Heavenly Father, this morning we give you the praise and the honor and glory for this time. 
Father, my prayer is, as I echo the words that were shared from your word, the qualifications and descriptions, and and God, I, I appreciate so much that it's a prayer for the men, the men of the body of Christ. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that um, I pray your hand of protection, uh, a wall of uh, a wall of protection around these men and their lives and their families, their children. Uh, God, the enemy uh, works overtime to try to destroy, but uh, he's already been defeated because of the shed blood of Jesus. And we know that uh, you are right here amongst us this morning as we worship and gather. Thank you for that. Lord God, I, I just give you the praise and the honor for this opportunity. Install Dewey and, and Curtis this morning into the body of Christ as elders. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Thank you. I'll let the rest of you sit down, and I want Brian to stay up here. With the installation of of Curtis and and, um, Dewey, uh, we're going to go ahead and let Brian semi-retire from the elder board. The ending verses of those qualifications say, Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and a great assurance of their faith in Christ. And so we just want to express our appreciation to Brian. He served well. Um, he's walked before God in the community and before the Church of Sunrise. And so I think it's appropriate this morning. I, I know Brian, would the last thing he would want would be a hand of applause for him. And so if you want to give the Lord a hand for giving by Brian to the body, that would be appropriate. So, so anyway, I know that Brian is still going to be involved. It's, it's kind of ironic because he was not supposed to be here because they're awaiting a grandchild that's a week late. So I know that God wanted him here so that we could acknowledge his gift to the body. Yeah, the I don't think thing? you want to tell my daughter that. <laughs> yeah, you can. One thing that he didn't say about this whole thing is that uh, even though you are an elder for life, you do go off the board. It just seems like for life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And along with the continuing process, um, God's gift to the body, we want to announce this morning that um, we have prayed and we have interviewed. And so we want to present uh, Gene Roberts to the body as a candidate for elder. And so over the next three or four weeks, we would ask you to each pray about that. Um, if you have any concerns or have any, anything that would make you believe that Gene would not be qualified, then we'd ask you to, to talk to one of the elders about that. Um, but we'll continue to pray and ask God's direction for that. We met with Gene and Kelly a couple weeks ago and heard their story and their testimony, and, and uh, we believe that, that they're a gift to the body, and God would desire them to, to serve, uh, Gene to serve on the board. So just pray with us about that, and hopefully in a, in a few weeks we'll install another elder as, as the board is kind of shuffling. The one thing that I really appreciate this morning is the difference in age between the two men that we installed. And that's a healthy thing for a church. 
to have young men and have established believers. How's that for a politically correct term? serving together because there's different perspectives because of different stages of life and and so that's just a, that's just a great thing that God does all right let's go back to worship let's sing psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want the lord is my shepherd he leads me I shall not want Guides me in the paths of the righteous I shall not want Even though I walk through the valley I shall not want Comfort me with your grace and your mercy I shall not Oh, I shall not want Whatever comes my way I set my heart on the promise of salvation I shall not want You prepare a table before me You anoint my head with oil, I shall not want. Surely goodness and love will follow, I shall not want. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forevermore, I shall not want. Comes my way, set my heart on the promise of salvation. I shall not want, I shall not want. Whatever comes my way, set my heart on the promise of salvation. I shall not
out of singing um, some of these words, I will bring a sacrifice. That sounds very Old Testament, doesn't it? That we're, we're not bringing a sacrifice like the Israelites did for our sin. We're bringing a sacrifice of praise and thanks for, for all that he has done for us. And so um, the Romans 12 says it's, it's our spiritual act of worship to, to sacrifice our bodies as living sacrifices. It's really about surrender to Him and what what He's doing. And as we kind of wrap up our, our worship time um, through song, um, we're going to sing kind of an old song. It's called In the Secret, In the Quiet Place. And uh, it's that place that, that God speaks to our hearts. And so... Listen for his voice today, through his word, through the songs, and continue to to press on in your faith with him. In the secret, in the quiet place, in stillness you are there. secret in the quiet hour I wait only for you 
Cause I want to know you more. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. I want to know you more. I want to touch you. life on this earth, people wanted to get close to him because they knew that, that uh, his touch was a healing touch. His touch was life-giving. His words were life-giving. And God, we want to get close to you, Jesus. So God, I pray that you would just show up in this place and speak to us and help us to be listening for your voice. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> well, how is everyone today? Good. Good. What an exciting day. Got some new elders sworn in. Got another one on the way. This is good. Man, Sunrise Church is alive and healthy. We're doing good. I love it. So right before I came up, my wife told me that uh, I have to be quick. Where's Brent. Hang on a second. Brent, your Bible and my Bible are probably the same, but I have mine marked. <laughs> yeah, I'll trade you. <laughs> yeah. So did everyone have a good 4th of July? Yeah. 
I'm, I'm guessing since you're here that it was safe. That's good. We, uh, my family and I and friends, we had a, a really good 4th of July too. It was fun. Uh, we were safe. We, uh, we started out the day floating the river. And we were with uh, family and friends. And, and right, before that, right before we got down onto the water, we made sure that everything was in working proper order. We made sure that the kayaks were good. We made sure that the inner tubes didn't have any holes in it. We made sure that the kids had all their life jackets on. Not my kids, but all the other kids had their life jackets on. Um, so we just had a great time. It was fun. It was safe. No one got hurt. Nobody drowned. Um, and then after that, we went to our buddy's house. There, were, there was a bunch of people, great big, great, big uh, group of people. We uh, ate a pig. And then when the sun went down, we started shooting fireworks off. So what we did is, is we found a couple uh, responsible young teenagers, and we gave them them great big long punks to, shart, to shoot the firecrackers off. You know, that way they could kind of stay back, and, and it was safe. So everything was going good, but there was one problem. My buddy's dog kept trying to attack the fireworks. Every time they'd light one, she'd run up to the firecracker and bite it. One time it blew up in her mouth, and it was kind of funny at first. But one time they lit a little bottle rocket off, and as soon as they lit it, that dog ran up to it, knocked it over. It came out, was screaming all over the ground, jumped up, hit my daughter in the knee, and blew up on contact. Gave her a little cut, a little burn. She was fine. But after that, we decided that having the dog out there wasn't very safe. So the dog got put away, and we carried on with the fireworks and had, had a wonderful evening. But wouldn't you say that in our lives, we put a lot of emphasis on safety? Think about it for a minute. How much money have you spent on safety to keep your family and yourself safe? As parents, I know that that we really do a lot to protect our family. When we find out that we're pregnant, we start looking for vehicles because we want to have the safest vehicle to put our children in. And then we read all the reviews, and we go out and we buy the best car seat. The cost doesn't matter on that. We buy the one that has the best ratings to keep our baby safe. And when we're in the car, we make sure that everybody has their seatbelts on. We're as safe as we can possibly be in that car. And then when it comes to our house, we put deadbolts in the door, and we make sure our windows lock. That way, nobody can break in. But just in case somebody does break in, we have a pistol in our nightstand to protect our family. And as our children grow older, we put training wheels on their bikes. We make them wear helmets and elbow pads and knee pads. We give them swimming lessons. We, as parents, go above and beyond to keep our families safe. And then teenagers. Ah, who am I kidding? I was a teenager once. Safety gets thrown out the window. Okay, teenagers, just do your thing and don't die. We need you to procreate and lead this country in the future. All right, be safe. Please be safe. No, but in all reality, we do everything that we possibly can 
to stay safe. And it's not just the physical pain that we try to avoid. It's the emotional and spiritual pain. It's happened we all had a broken heart. I'm guessing everyone in this room has had a broken heart. And what do we do to get over that broken heart? We keep ourselves busy. We bury ourselves in work. We hang out with friends and family more. And after time, we begin to forgive and we begin to heal and move on. But what about spiritual pain? What happens if you've been burned by a church? If you've been burned by a fellow Christian? What happens if the pastor's words cut you like a knife? What happens when you feel that God's not helping you? That you think he might have abandoned you? What do you do when you don't feel safe at church anymore? You know, there's a lot of reasons to feel that way. But the truth is, you just don't feel safe. And for some people, it's the simple fact that you're new. Maybe you've never been burned at church. Nothing has, has ever been bad to you from, from church or from a fellow Christian. You're just new. And with that newness comes anxiety, comes a little bit of fear. But for some people, there's been some serious trauma associated with church and fellow Christians. And because of that, you feel alone, unwanted, unworthy, unloved. You feel exposed, and you feel that you're not good enough. You walk into church with a pit in your stomach, and you guard yourself. You sit in the back not to be seen and anxious, anxiously wait for the preacher's words to cut like a knife, causing further pain. You glance around to see if anybody is watching you. You open your Bible and wonder why and how a fellow Christian could have and did hurt you so bad. You wonder where God is, and you wonder if he's going to help you. You contemplate leaving and retreating to the safety of your own home. Or maybe you're watching online right now, and you have that feeling inside that you should be here. You should be here with the congregation, but you don't feel accepted because of something that happened in the past. You're embarrassed. You're afraid to talk about it. You don't feel safe at church anymore. Now, I know that none of you have ever felt this way before, but the person sitting next to you might has, or you know someone that has. In the past few years, I've talked to quite a few people who have felt this way and who still feel this way. And when I asked them why, some of the responses I got were, I don't feel safe at church because of something I did in the past, because of the past sins, and God won't forgive me. I've had people tell me that because of what happened to them, they feel like they don't belong anymore in church, that they're not good enough to come to church. And then I asked the question if they ever think that they would come back to church. Some of them said, yeah, maybe in time. I'm just going to take a break for a while. I've had a couple of my real good friends who have asked that question too, look at me with a, with a grin and say, oh, uh, if I walk back into that church, I'd catch on fire. I don't, I, I'm not going there. 
You know, if I walked in that church, the doors would catch on fire. Or they say something like that. Revealing to themselves that they're bad. That what they've done in the past, or what has happened to them in the past, won't be accepted by the church and the people in the church. And won't be accepted by God. I've also had people tell me before that they don't want to come back to church because church is full of hypocrites. I've heard stories that people have told me. Things like, oh, you know that, that one guy that goes to church with you? Yeah, I saw him at a wedding reception the other night. He was wasted. And you know that other lady, that lady that goes to church with you? I know she cheated on her husband. And, I, and oh my gosh, did you hear what the preacher's kids did? Holy moly. I can't go to church with people like that. No, I, I, I just can't do it. And I've also heard people say, Churches are clicky. And you know what? In all of those statements, there is some truth. Churches do have hypocrites in them. And churches can be clicky. And I'm going to tell you why. The one thing we have to understand is churches are like hospitals. People go to hospitals because they're sick And they want healed. They know that they're sick. If you're not sick, there's no reason to go to a hospital. And it's the same with church. Those who know that they need help, that they need saved, go to church. If there's anyone that thinks they're perfect, then they're going to have a hard time finding a reason to go to church. But churches are full of imperfect people who know that they need help. And with that imperfection comes sin and drama and pain and the realization of just how messed up we humans truly are. And with that comes the realization of how much we all need Jesus. Amen to that. So I want to tell you and read to you what Jesus said when it came to, to kind of the hospital church play out thing. In Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come... Not to call, to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Sinners who need to repent. Why did Jesus say that? Well, let's back up a couple verses to 27. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. This is when Jesus calls Levi, or Matthew. Matthew and Levi are the same person, so don't get that confused. Verse 27, later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. Now, we don't know very much about Matthew's life before he met Jesus. Pretty much all we know is that he was a tax collector. So in order to understand Matthew... We need to take a look at tax collectors and what they did and who they are. So about Matthew. 
We know that he was a Jew. We know right around when he was born. We know where he grew up. And, and in that area and in that time, we pretty much know that, that Matthew knew a lot about the Jewish religion. He, all, he knew all about the Jewish customs and traditions. And he was probably brought up knowing a lot about the Old Testament. I actually, actually believe that Matthew was highly educated in the Old Testament. Now, if that came before or after he met Jesus, I don't know. But, like I said, he knew a lot about Jewish Jewish tradition and Jewish customs. And Matthew is also one of the first gospel writers. He wrote the first gospel in the Bible titled Matthew. And in his letter that he wrote, he quoted Old Testament scripture over 60 times more than any other gospel writer did. So that's why I believe that Matthew was, was highly educated in the Old Testament. But as a tax collector, Matthew also was very highly educated. You see, all day long he would sit in his booth and he would count money and make transactions. He would figure out how much taxes people owed and, and he kept records of all those people. And in doing that, Matthew also had to know a couple different languages. He was fluent in in at least two languages. So Matthew was a very smart man. But as a tax collector, he was despised by his fellow Jews. I'm going to go as far in saying is that they hated him. You see, because tax collectors were cheats. They were Jews who worked for the Roman Empire... And they, they, they took the taxes from their fellow Jews. But in that, they stole money from their fellow Jews, from their family members. Because what they would do, they would figure out how much money a person owes in taxes, and then they would add to it. And they would pocket the difference. So, in worldly speaking, when it comes to financials, Matthew was doing very well for himself. He had a good job with security. He was loaded. Even though he was cheating his fellow Jews, who in turn despised him, and some even hated him for that. The Pharisees actually called the tax collectors the worst sinners of all. No one liked them. So why would anybody want that job? Why would Matthew want to take that job? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that information. Like I said before, we don't know very much about Matthew before he met Jesus. But I'm going to give you my speculation on who Matthew was. Now again, this has no biblical backing. This is just a story, okay, and, and, and to fit in. So I'm guessing that Matthew grew up going to church. And as a young man, he was well-educated in the Bible. And in those days, when a young man had a desire to become a church leader, his parents would go out and find a, a, a religious teacher. And they would send their kid, like Matthew, to be a disciple, to be a student under that teacher. Now, as a student, you went everywhere that the teacher did. A lot of times they would even live with them. They would go everywhere the teacher went, studying under them and learning from them, just like Jesus and his 12 disciples 
which Matthew later came to be. They followed Jesus everywhere and learned everything they could from them. He taught them. But as time went on, Matthew didn't make the cut. He wasn't good enough to become a religious teacher. So he was rejected. And because of that, his parents were ashamed. His peers ridiculed him. They made fun of him. And after so much verbal abuse, Matthew began to believe the lies. He began to believe that he wasn't good enough. And after so long, Matthew became hurt. He became hurt very bad, very deeply. And in that hurt, he left the church. And he left with pain and fear swelling inside. Matthew didn't know what to do. So like many young men, he rebelled. He rebelled against his parents. He rebelled against the church. And in that rebellion, he wanted people to feel the same pain that he was feeling. He wanted to get even. So what better way than becoming a tax collector? Stealing the people's money who hurt him very bad. So Matthew took that job. He was despised. He was hated. And after a while, he began to realize that he was alone. That the only people that halfway liked him were fellow tax collectors. who was in the same boat that he was. And the burden of that became too much for Matthew to bear. He knew that he needed help, but where was he going to get it? And who was going to help him? Matthew was low. He was in a bad spot. And all the money that he, that he had couldn't fill that hole in his heart. And then came Jesus. This is where we do have the biblical backing, the biblical truth. Jesus was walking through the area where the tax collectors set up their booths. And he saw Matthew. And he probably pointed at Matthew and he said, Follow me and be my disciple. Let's read exactly what happened in verse 28 of Luke 5. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? The Pharisees called them scum, lowlifes and losers, not good for anything. And Jesus replied, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Those were the words that Matthew was so desperate to hear. Come, follow me, and be my disciple. Those are the words that Jesus spoke. Now, like I said before, We don't know much about Matthew's life before he met Jesus. But that's a story that could fit. Because that's a story that fits some of my friends. 
some of my very, very close friends. They grew up going to church. Something happened and they got burned. And they fell out. Church became unsafe. Church wasn't a happy place of worship anymore. And after a while, they began to believe the lies that they weren't good enough. They began to believe the lies that Satan was telling them, that God wouldn't take them back. And they fell further and further away, not trusting people, not talking or opening up and holding that pain inside. And after a while, they became angry at God, angry at the church, angry at themselves, and all the time knowing that they needed help. And to those friends of mine who are here or watching online, I want you to know this. The world can call you scum, but Jesus calls you child. So how do we feel safe at church? How do we get back to the happiness and the love that we once felt? You need to know that it can be a long process, or it also can be a very quick process. I guess that's up to God. But there's one thing that we need to look at first, and that's some truths. In order to heal, you have to go through the truth. You have to go through some pain in order to heal. So the truth is, you've been hurt, and you've been judged. But the truth is, you're also being judgmental. And quite possibly, you're judging yourself far worse than anybody else is. And another truth, and this one's a hard pill to swallow, at this moment, you might not have a very good relationship with God. You might be angry at Him. I don't know. That's between you and God. But I'm guessing that there is some fear in there. You're afraid to get close. You're afraid that your past sins are going to be revealed and exposed, and you don't want to go back to them. You don't even want to think about them anymore. You don't want to relive the pain of what happened. There could be a lot of reasons why you don't feel safe at church, a lot of reasons why you might not have a healthy relationship with God. So where do we start? Just like anything, we have to come to the realization that we need help. That's number one. So you have to examine yourself, and you have to be honest with yourself. As most of you know in here, my, my dad was an alcoholic, and he hid that better from himself far more than he hid that from anyone else. Examine yourself and be honest with yourself on who you are and with what you're doing. And pray. Pray to God. He knows you. He knows what you need. And just don't ask Him to bless your food. Talk to Him. Talk to God like He's sitting right beside you. Talk to Him like He's your best friend because He is. He's all around you. He hears every word. He knows every thought. Talk to Him. He's the only one who can save you, the only one who can truly help you. 
and find people who you can trust. People who have been through what, what you're going through. People who you can talk with. People who are willing and wanting to help you. And give God the past. Quit living in the past. Quit digging up that pain. Give it to God. He'll take it from you. He wants to take it from you. And be excited. Be excited about life. Be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for the friends and the family that you have. Be grateful for the church that you have and for the amazing God that you have. And read the Bible. If you're going through a hard time in life, if you feel hurt, read the Bible. There's a lot of people, a lot of stories in this Bible of people who were hurt, who were burned. Read them stories and see how God transformed their lives, how God worked in their lives. And he wants to do the same for you. And don't give up. That's a very important one. Don't give up. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on people. Don't give up on your church. And don't give up on God. It might not feel that he's doing anything, but he is. You just can't see it, maybe. Or you don't realize it. But he is always working in your life. Let Jesus help you. I wasn't going to mention anything, but... Possibly some of you are asking if I've ever been hurt in church. The answer to that is yes, deeply, very badly. And in that time, what I realized is that I had a choice to make, fight or flight. I could either stay or go. And I'll be honest, there was a time in there where I would have been happy with either decision. But I prayed to God, and I asked Him what He wanted me to do. Not what I wanted to do, what he wanted me to do. And he said, stay the course. Trust me. And I stayed the course. It wasn't easy, but it turned out all right. And actually, it boosted my relationship with God higher than it ever had been before. So we need to understand exactly who we are. You need to understand who you are and who you belong to. In order to understand exactly what's going on and exactly why you feel the way that you do, you need to know who you belong to and who holds the keys to your safety. At the beginning of the sermon, we talked about safety. And how parents go above and beyond to keep their kids and families safe. But what do you do to keep yourself safe? One of the things we do for safety is stay healthy, right? We we want to be healthy, and that's a part of safety. So we take care of ourselves. We eat good. We get plenty of sleep. We exercise. We keep our body as healthy and safe as we possibly can. But what happens when a part of the body gets hurt or cut off? Let's listen to what Paul has to say about the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we, will have, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, does that make it any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts with less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Child of God, you are a part of the body. You are a part of the body of Christ, and the body needs you. God loves you, and he wants you. He wants you to be with him and in him, and he wants to be in you. He wants all of us to be a part of the body because we are, and we all have a role to pay, to play. We are the body, and we have to love the body. Every single part of the body needs cared for and loved, and sometimes sewn back on. I want to read to you another passage from, John, from 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit, 
as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. I was going to end the sermon there. But this morning as I was going over it one last time, and I was thinking of my friends, thinking of you, God told me to add one more part. And that's Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. So I just want to take a little bit and, and, and read that to you. Nothing can separate us from God's love. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading with us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of, of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friend, we all need to understand that God is in us. 
If you are a blood-bought child of the Most High God, as you have confessed and you have made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, God is in you and you are in him. And nothing can take that away. No matter how bad you've been burned in the past, no matter what you've done in the past or what's been done to you in the past, God loves you. He will always love you. So don't believe the lies. When people tell you that you're scum, you're not. When people tell you that God won't forgive you, oh, he will. When people tell you that you're not loved and that God might not even love you, walk away. Because you are more loved than you will ever understand. Jesus, the only son of God, died for you. If you were the last person on earth at the time, Jesus would have still hung on the cross for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much you mean to him. Yeah, you're hurt. Okay, you've been burned. But it's time to move on. It's time to move forward forward into that relationship with God. Move forward into the relationship with people who want to help you. And there are lots of people in this body right now that want to help. Sunrise, let's be the body that helps. And not just inside of this building, but let's help people all over our community. Let's go above and beyond to help everyone feel wanted, accepted, and loved. Let's help people feel the safety and security that we all need to feel in church and in our relationships. Let's help each other. Let's trust in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your greatness. We thank you for how much you love us, and you proved how much you did by sending your son to the cross to take our place, to be that sacrifice for us so that we can come to you boldly anytime we want. And Father, I know that There are people out there who are hurting, people out there who don't feel accepted. And Father, I just pray that you will do a work in their hearts that only you can do. Send people to them, Lord, that can understand and can help them. Father, and most importantly, please continue to help us love. Father, because we know that love comes from you. Jesus, you are so good. You are so good to us. Thank you. Help us go out. Help us go above and beyond and live in the safety of you. Father, thank you. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.